Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining me. This is Richard Listens, and this is the Richard Listens Show. I'm grateful for all the wonderful contributions and guests we've been having lately. Uh, again, I'm Richard Olberger. You can check me out on Instagram at Richard Listens. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm here to help you, your family members, and loved ones. If you need therapy or performance coaching or stress management going forward, check me out at richardlistens.com. Without further ado, I'm going to be inviting on shortly uh, my guest today, Steve Johnson from the Well. Being Science Institute, getting to learn about what he's got going on over in Australia for athletes. Good morning, Steve. Hey, How are hey, you? Yeah, pretty good. Looks like it's sunny there in LA. Ah, you like my, my garden office now. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's uh, just about 80 degrees and uh, it gets cooler towards the evening here. So it actually gets yeah. to be quite nice. Yeah, I, I used to live in, um, in Los Gatos. Where's that? It's where Netflix is, just south of San Francisco. So a little bit cooler there. But it, was, it was nice year round. Yeah, I just did a show, which is also a podcast last week about a doping case in Australia. Because there's so little sport, this one sport in Australia, which has come back, which is rugby league, which is a little bit different from rugby union, but very similar. And this young guy um, who was one of the rising stars of the game um, was just about to get offered a multi-million dollar contract, just got caught for doping. And it wasn't inadvertent doping. It was systematic sort of Ben Johnson bad doping. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting area when you start looking about what really drives that sort of um, those decisions. And when you hear a lot about his teammates, like when the introduction is like, either you're in or you're out. Like, yeah. 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 if you want to be on the team, you're you're gonna start using this. Uh, it seems innocent enough, and the ways in which we rationalize it, if that's what's happening on industry wide. And if you don't, or if you're the one who doesn't, you're you're distrusted. You're not a teammate, right? Yeah. Anytime you deviate from what the norms are, healthy or not. And I guess the thing that struck me about the whole land. Uh, Armstrong thing was the how systematic, how pervasive, and how central that was to everything they did. Of course, you need to be a great cyclist, but you also needed to be part of the system. Right. And, uh, and every it wasn't just the cyclists; everybody knew it was going on. 
um, and everybody was willing to dimension. <laughs> That's right. Like it's a, you know, we we're going to get on the world map and this is, yep. yeah. So, um, and how about, how about for you? Uh, tell me a little bit about the Wellbeing Institute and how you came to well, it. Well, I started uh, in sports psychology and, uh, and then left um, sports psychology to go into organizational psychology and then got distracted for you know, a number of years and had sort of an executive career. And then when, you know, at some point I just went back and went, you know, I want to go back to doing the stuff I love and which like, you know, like you found myself back in sport. So for the last uh, eight years, that's what I've been doing. So working with, you know, elite and professional sport. Did you, did you train in Australia or in the States? In Australia, but I did go to school in Michigan. Yeah, so a lot of sport to, there. Uh, a lot of sport there, a lot of good sport there and got used to uh, pretty cold weather at the same time. Yeah. So, um, so that's a little bit about, uh, about me. Um, I was a uh, cross country runner, um, but had always played multiple sports and always loved sports and um, um, taught sports psychology at university for a number of years and had always actually paid my way through university by being a personal trainer back in the days when it wasn't that common to be a personal trainer and write Australia's first um, personal trainers course. Um, wow. Wrote uh, Australia's first undergrad sports psychology degree. And, um, but had always, because of, I guess because of that personal training background had always seen that um, the linkages between body and mind in fact, my personal training company was called Body and Mind Incorporated. And so it was just a logical progression as I spent more time in psychology to be just you know, thinking about all of that, both in as a sports psychologist, but even as an executive, I was the one who was always championing, you know, um, employee well-being or you know, holistic approaches to leadership and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then oh, going back about, Six years ago now, I was asked by one of the major sporting codes in Australia to do a review of their um, effectively welfare function. They had welfare function for athletes. And I did a review of it, made 31 recommendations to them how they could improve it and change. And to their credit, they implemented just about all of them. Um, and then they said, oh, well, do you help us train the people who work in this space with our athletes? I said, sure. Um, and then they said, well, would you be able to turn this training program into a qualification? So, and I foolishly said, sure. <laughs> and, um, and so that's how, you know, that was the, the origin of the wellbeing science Institute. So now we run um, training programs across Australia, New Zealand and, and the UK. And the plan was um, that next year we would come to the United States, but obviously with COVID, the UK got derailed. Things got slowed down there a little bit. Um, and the US uh, launch got pushed back. Um, so we'll probably won't do that next year, but the year after. And um, yeah, so we've been, you know, training people who work with elite athletes and how to look after their whole person well-being. It's really interesting because um, when uh, it's so great that you've, um, you're a clinical psych because um, you get this immediately. So much of the emphasis when it comes to athlete well-being is down on the lang languishing end of the continuum. I don't know if you're familiar with um, the work of Corey Keyes, 
where his premise is that the most protective thing we can do for people to take care of their uh, mental health and their overall well-being is to invest in the things that facilitate flourishing. And so his view is that, look, there's, there's more than enough information around you know, suffering and people who are needing treatment and mental ill health awareness raising, but actually the very thing that's going to be most protective if we invest in the knowledge and skills that you know, help people flourish, not to be able to recognize when people are languishing or needing treatment. That's one of the central tenets of what you know we advocate is if we actually teach athletes the right kind of skills, um, they can be more autonomous, they can make better decisions and they have skills when uh, they hit adversity they're better able to cope and not just cope, but transcend. And that's the central idea. Um, I guess the other key, we don't think of athletes as being multidimensional human beings. We think of them as athletes, not as people. Right. And And that can be really limiting in in terms of connecting with them or treating them, right? Is that we're only speaking, looking at them through our own lens. Mm. And so, you know, um, they have you know, psychological needs and emotional needs. They have relationship needs. They have spiritual needs in a lot of cases. They have cultural needs. They have career needs. They have you know, financial needs. So looking at really much more holistically and saying, you know, what are the things that are important to you, i.e. values? And then saying, well, from a well-being point of view, what's appealing to you given those things that are important to you? How can we help you grow and develop as a person? And uh, and often athletes are never even given that opportunity. Try and do is try and you know, um, influence sporting organisations to say, hey, this is what's important to athletes, and all you got to do is ask them. Yeah, and that's incredible that you're at the forefront of an institute, and that is systematically being adopted by a country uh, to apply it to all their sporting teams uh and the fact that we were connected through uh sarah saul of uh u.s rugby so i mean on the outside my naivete tells me that well rugby players are not using mental skills training (laughs) but maybe you know maybe maybe advances are, are coming across the board yeah well i think um rugby per se has been again like most sports fairly reactive so if there's a problem, then we, we make a phone call or we bring someone in and, you know, we send them off to therapy or, you know. Concussions or, are going on, something like this, or conflict, yeah. substance abuse. Yeah. yeah, or we've got a problem with your partner, then we'll send you to a relationship specialist. But, hey, what about if we actually taught people real relationship skills and we invested in the kind of things that actually meant they could talk more effectively with their partner, that they recognize there are certain things that derail relationships and, you know, because as I often said, athletes, look, you may not be fully invested in the person you're with now, but there will come a time when you meet a person who you really, really feel deeply about, who you really care about and you want to spend more time with. Well, if you don't know what to do, the chances of that relationship lasting um, can be pretty limited. So wouldn't it make sense to learn in advance of what actually works in relationships and then learn some skills about how to put those things into practice? I don't know, for some reason, I think organizations get scared to ask athletes those questions. But my experience is when you do ask them, they always say yes. They <laughs> always say yes. Yeah, the, the not rocking the boat thing, it's always, it's been something that 
I guess now as being someone who owns a small business, liability is always on people's minds. But I was really in shock, even in grad school here in California, I took a class on diversity. And I was looking across from people who were from mixed racial backgrounds, Korean immigrants, African American. And when it came down to having discussions on race, the teacher looked horrified. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. could do it in your assignment, but, the, but yeah. there was a fear of maybe conflict yeah. uh, or, or something not getting out of control. So I feel like it's similar when it comes to maybe, you know, the stigma around sports about talking about emotions or like you said, connecting your mind and your body. It's kind of, mm. <laughs> where are we now, you know, in terms of making progress in that area, you know, in the world sporting perspective. Well, look, here's my take on it is that we're nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the need for the well-being science Institute and you and I, (laughs) Uh, yeah. How little we know about the places where athletes and a younger generation are spending so much of their time and the ways in which they're communicating. And if we can reach them through there. um, Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about that, that um, um, they're not sitting on computers, you know, um, everything's happening in my hand, in my phone. And yeah. It's, um, but, you know, having said that, you know, I spent a lot of time working with, I, I, I work as a performance psychologist for um, a number of um, sporting organizations with their up and coming athletes. And uh, I find that the, you know, 16 to 18 year old athletes are less ageist than their, than their older peers who might be you know in the teams in the top teams they're on the way up but i find the younger people much more interested in learning much more accept accepting of advice and much more willing to take some uh psychological and social risks which i think is really interesting do you think that's because so much of their generation is just out there all the time i think it's because they're so used to um their world being um, almost a, uh, a disconnected world in that so much of their world happens online. Um, and they're so used to expressing everything online that when they come out into the real world, uh, that's how they operate. Because, you know, young people today are dating less and having sex later um, and having less sex. So you go, what's caused that? And I believe that one of the causes has been social media where they can basically stay connected uh, and they're, they've grown up with social media um, and they're the first group to really grow up. They're not forced in, not forced in a weird social interactions involving drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and also too, because they, um, they express everything online um, when they get face to face, that's, you know, what they continue to do. So it's actually helping communication patterns. That's that's my take on it. And certainly I noticed the difference with athletes. So, and you know, I think about my daughter and her friends and uh, they're very similar. Like the level of openness and connectedness that they have is really quite, um, quite incredible. When you look at, you know, in comparison to my son, who's you know, a, you know, a little bit older, um, they're quite different. You got to drag it out of them. Uh, and I don't think that's just a male and female thing. I think it's a, right. a cohort thing. Yeah. How are you noticing, um, you know, in, in Australia post all the fires and everything, how is a, is a culture kind of bringing people back together? Um, has sport been slow to rebuild or? 
Well, there's only, right now in Australia, there's only one sport that's, um, that's playing. So all the other sports due to COVID have been shut down. So um, it's pretty quiet in the sporting landscape. A lot of people have lost their jobs or in holding patterns. Um, the Australian federal government, the, the national government, um, has a, um, a program called JobKeeper where people are getting paid a wage. Um, so that's, that's basically supporting the around 30% um, of, the, of the employed workforce uh, actually on that program. And that program runs through until um, September. Um, so the main professional sports, uh, Australian rules football, um, rugby league, rugby union, which is what Sarah plays, and, um, and football in Australia. Um, of those major sports, only one rugby league is actually playing. Um, they've only been back playing for two weeks. This will be the second week oh, wow. this, this weekend. So sport and professional sport in Australia has come to a shuddering halt. And as a consequence, that's been devastating to you know, the, the professional sporting codes um, via broadcasting revenue and also in terms of you know, um, ticket sales, merchandising, all that kind of stuff. And um, so that's going to be pretty devastating to the sporting industry, which in Australia is worth you know, roughly 20, over $20 billion. So um, for a lot of people, it's um, in sport in Australia who work around sport, they're really hurting. But tennis, right? They're getting back to that now, I think. I don't know if they host a lot of events in Australia. Well, the big um, tennis period in Australia sort of runs off the Australian Open, which is in January. So the lead in is November. There's a few tournaments post in February, but it's sort of all the run up to. So there's not many viable tennis events in Australia. You were going to say the, the main downfall from, from all of this besides lost revenue? Yeah, we won't see it until September. You know, lots of those people uh, who work around the periphery of sport or work directly in sport, um, they'll be artificially propped up by this JobKeeper program yep. that ends in September at this stage, what's government saying. So then, but what will happen as a consequence is sporting organizations and sporting franchises will work out they can do much more with less so a lot of those jobs in sport in australia won't reappear it seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems some people go to the gym others may run but i've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing i'm taking injitsu classes online where i'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to Injitsu.com slash RichardListens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash RichardListens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order.
So. Yeah, we've seen that here, posts and updates from schools and organizations about how they're going to keep it in-house and train people to give the presentations and take on double duties and maybe make their uh, principal the janitor, which in one way is nice teamwork. And on the other hand, it's a little bit scary for those people who, you know, at least in the U.S., make their jobs around concessions or working stadium security. Yeah, yeah. it's... um. It's an interesting one. And one of the central tenets of this wellbeing program we, we run is we you know, say to people who come and do the course, your greatest job security is the fact that you've got these skills which you can transfer to other people. And so what we focus on is really heavily focusing on giving them um, skills and a wellbeing toolkit, which then they can take and deliver to athletes. Um, whereas in a lot of cases, what people have had these well-being roles in the past, they're like post office boxes, you know. They receive some information, then they call someone in, you know, and they bring in consultants. And what we're saying is the more you can do, um, the greater your job security and the better off the athletes are going to be. Because often athletes, uh, they won't go to the, you know, health professionals or the allied health professionals or the experts themselves, they go to someone who they trust. So because right. you're around and the person they see every day, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we've been sort of pretty strong on and saying um, the most important thing you can do is develop your own well-being, athlete wellbeing toolkit. Then you can, you know, um, help transfer um, the knowledge and skills to athletes and that's going to benefit everybody. Um, and of course the challenging thing is how to draw that line is um, when do you need a real specialist and in psychology that line is pretty straightforward uh, I think you know, when you start saying well someone is languishing and they're reporting these symptoms um, then it's probably time to start consulting a you know a professional but if it's you know, you know general things that they can do for themselves then hey wouldn't it make sense that you know if you had these skills you'd help transfer them yeah so this is great so you're taking the whole you're training sports psychologists trainers uh coaches they can all learn some of these skills is that correct yeah 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 and across a range of areas we we have a um a holistic well-being model which has nine dimensions to it you know physical psychological relationships um spirituality culture uh career finances environment we say look if you look at the whole person sitting inside there uh are areas of skill that anybody could develop but the key thing is not all that is going to appeal to everybody um so what process do you use to help people understand that their whole person potential is something they can work on but they can narrow it down. Yeah, this is tremendous. Yeah, I think I might need to get my toolkit. <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me up. Except for the time change, I think your classes might be in the middle of my, while I'm sleeping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that that was the thing that you know really got us excited because we could see so much potential across not just Europe but also the U.S. Um, we, you know, several years ago we went to the the Pads conference in. Um, in New York and um, you know we, we looked at what was going on there and went wow the US has uh, there's lots of opportunity here everybody's still in reaction mode 
we're, we're doing the bare minimum. We respond if there's a crisis, but apart from that, there's almost nothing done holistically or developmentally proactively in, in the space of wellbeing. So we were really excited and um, we'd planned out a launch and um, yeah, and then COVID happened. Yeah. How many, how many physical institutes do you have right now? And, and has COVID forced you into more of an online mentality going forward? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it definitely has. And we were just about to launch our second institute in the UK. Um, and we just put that on hold for the moment, but you know, we'll revisit it later in the year. Um, we'd identified someone who was going to be CEO of the wellbeing science Institute in the UK. And then we were starting plans for, you know, doing the same process in, um, in the US. So, um, yeah, but look, you know, it, it's from our point of view, what it's done, it's delayed. Uh, we also do work, uh, by the way, with uh, the military um, in Australia. And um, so we see this as being not just applicable for sport, but, um, but also for military as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I had the Houston Astros uh, mental performance coach and he came from training the military and he said the great thing about training the military is that they're required to be there. So yeah. it's kind of like a court, you know, mandated you client here. You got a captive yeah, audience. There, right you, there you go. So even though they may not be excited at first, they don't question whether or not they need to attend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no problems with uh, yeah, people walking through the door. Um, whether you can maintain their attention, well, that's a whole different ballgame, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And whether or not they take you seriously at first, the proof is kind of in the pudding, right? If you begin to apply some yep. of the strategies and sometimes when you're listening to the material, you probably realize, you know, there's areas that you need some support in that will help you focus better to help you be ready yep. uh, to be present. And, and one of the... Um one of the interesting things that um, I think the military in Australia, certainly, and I know in the UK, because I have some colleagues who work with um, the military in the UK. One of the interesting things about the military is they're very big on the leadership side of uh, mental skills and performance psychology and sports psychology, but um, almost unaware of the well-being side, which of course plays in, but there's, a separate relationship and um, when you when you give people permission to say hey look we can focus on leadership and the attributes for performance but as but we're also concerned about you as a person and your well-being as a person that sends a very different message in terms of the psychological contract between employer and employee you're battle ready and we can deploy you at our choosing two locations well hey, what about if we actually thought about you as people first uh, and then we invested on that basis and then we also invested in the leadership capability you're going to need to make something of your military career. Well, that's a very different value proposition. And, and you actually see that in, in platoon commanders where, um, where they protect the well-being of their soldiers in battle and by doing so, don't put them at risk, unnecessary risk, uh, and thereby they demonstrate the value of the psychological contract. And often I think that that gets forgotten. And I think the same thing applies in sports and the military in that regard. And if you treat me like shit and you put me at risk and you send me back out after, you know, I've already had a concussion, 
there's a very different perception about and a growing awareness of there's a price to pay for that kind of behavior for the athlete. And this is really valuable for whether it be, you know, in the military, uh, you know, people feeling valued by their commander or in the NFL or rugby where the concussions are going on, that yeah. somebody cares about your injury and your long-term health, as opposed to seeing you just as a function of whatever your body's got left to give. That's right. And I think when you start talking about both in military terms and sporting performance terms, what you then are able to tap into is discretionary effort. Say more about that. So the, the ability to like not give as much effort because you're afraid of giving, getting hurt or. Well, it, it also, why would I give extra effort for someone who actually doesn't value me as a person? I can speak to that from my basketball uh, career. I'm, <laughs> I'm in the process of coming out with uh, Richard listens, crossing the threshold a book this year. And uh, like two basketball coaches I played for almost at the same time, and uh, one of them, we had tremendous fun, friendship, joking, yep. uh, probably at times, probably crossing some boundaries, <laughs> but, but the coach allowed it and created great camaraderie and friendships. And you didn't mind if one day you were the second man scoring and the next day you were the eighth guy on the bench because yep. that's, and the, and yet on the other hand, you had other coach you played for that was completely shut you down and took the joy out of the game and created war in practice between the first team and the second team and it was like complete shock to me as an athlete that something yeah. i could both love and be completely detached from at the same time you would well know then about you know the philosophy of john wooten and you know the way in which he approached the person you coach the person you know the moment you start you know thinking you're coaching athletes then that's right. And he started uh, each practice by having teaching people to tie their shoes, right? like not assuming he didn't want any yeah. wasting time, any skill set that maybe you didn't have. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we, we, we mentioned, um, you know, some ESPN during the quarantine. And if you watched uh, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, uh, yeah, and they, they showed about Phil Jackson with Dennis Rodman. I thought, wow, well, you know, you really had to be a really good coach to not react. <laughs> yeah. And, and there was a classic example of someone who uh, was not only self-aware, but other aware. And, you know, what I've found and worked with a lot of um, elite sport coaches over the last you know, 30 years is that so few of them have, have self-awareness of their own behavior um, and we know that self-awareness is the foundation for other awareness. So if your job is to get the best out of people and you're not self-aware, uh, there's very little chance that, um, you know, um, you're going to make it for the long term and be a, what I call a sustainable coach that, you know, you have a sustainable career and um, you're able to get the best out of people in multiple contexts, regardless of whether you got the, the Michael Jordan in your team or not. Without a star roster, what can you do with you know, the talent? you Right, because there'll always be a situation that you haven't prepared for. There'll always be something that throws you off course. And yeah. if you're not used to it, if, you, if you've only coached winning teams and now you're in a come into a culture of you know, entitlement or it's been difficult or turnover, it can be really complicated. And, and I think um, one of the things that The Last Dance spoke to me on was um, this idea that you are uh, only as good as the weakest link. You, know, you can have Michael Jordan in your team, but if you don't have the support crew around him, 
he can't do his thing. And if you know the support to crew don't do their job uh, with the the Pippins and the Longleys, and you know, and and I think that's what Jackson did as well, really well, was he he not only managed the the stars of the team. When you think about that now, uh, you know, looking back, those players, their key contributions were minutes or moments of the season yeah, or totally. moments of each game a lot of the Steve time Kerr, they looked right? yeah like one moment right yeah. yet or you know or two and in, in, in but in crucial key times and when they showed the highlights of him having really bad games and things like that like he had to keep him ready yeah to play his role you know yeah. keeping someone psychologically ready even when you're in this lesser role or feeling your importance we now know emotionally how hard that must be (laughs) to be paid to be waiting to be watching and yet to keep ready to keep working uh for those and and for the coach to give you enough minutes so that you can be ready uh knowing you're probably not the best option but we've got to keep you ready because there will come a time when you'll be needed and we need you to be able to deliver when that time comes yeah yeah fascinating wasn't it sure enough well uh Steve, maybe tell, you know, just since I can record it and use it, if you can tell everyone about how to reach you and how to use the, uh, you know, reach the Wellbeing Science Institute and learn more. Well, um, they can go to our website at um, wellbeingscienceinstitute.com. They can find out a little bit about the program there. They can see some of the organizations we've worked with. Um, They can see a few videos as well. Or they can reach out directly and have a chat either by uh, emailing me, Steve, at Wellbeing Science Institute, or just give me a call. So my number's on the website there. Just give me a buzz. Perfect. Well, I look forward to getting my well-being uh, toolkit and adding it, or if I can be a resource and setting up any kind of forum or discussion and getting it to other coaches, trainers out here who maybe are using this time of rededicating themselves or, or recreating themselves as they move out of the quarantine into the uncertainty of the rest of 2020. I think it's exciting that people maybe open their mind to different ways they have to grow and learn, whether it be learning ways to be more racially and culturally aware, as we've learned from the last uh, week in this country, or learning about how to be more in tune as coaches or uh, to the athletes who, who we care about so much in our field. Certainly, there's lots of, uh, lots of opportunity in the U.S. at the moment, and um, we hope that things uh, settle down and we hope that people um, start to list, you know, show a little more compassion for each other. That's really it. And I know athletes, if you've, uh, I don't know, if did they, so, did they show American Sports Center over there? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's a worldwide thing now. Um, they, they've been showing a lot of clips, you know, about the players really – asking to be valued for for who they are and what they give and uh you know not just in terms of monetary compensation uh yeah like that there has to be i think the term is you know equality and equity uh in terms of understanding the value of your partners uh and not treating them like they're just pawns that are disposable because they get a salary yeah um yeah, and I think, um, you know, to me, basketball has been one of the better sports in that regard. Um, I think they have um, definitely been better at managing um, managing culture. I think they've definitely been good at managing race. Um, and I think um, been highly supportive of their playing groups um, to put out messages that they think are appropriate. And one of the things I've noticed in the last 20 years particularly is the growing role of athlete activism 
and I think that's only going to continue. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that and we could have a whole show on that by itself, but from Yao Ming as an ambassador to now, you know, players going to play in China and then they sending teams from uh, Australia uh, and, and China to play before every season uh, to play some sort of friendly, uh, just to have the interaction and exposure, kind of like an extension of the Olympic games of learning about differences between people and creating this interaction you know that it really is something that can help help teach lessons and values and, and teamwork across the world yeah it's certainly lots of scope for uh being much more inclusive and being real advocates and influencers in that space so that's why i'm optimistic because um, there's lots of good people out there really trying to make change yes and you're in a tremendous position to inspire and educate them yeah, which is, which is great. And, um, you know, we got our next program. We look like we'll have uh, a major launch in the UK um, come the end of the year with one of the professional sports there. So, um, so far, so good. We just uh, got to get past COVID and, um, and hopefully, um, yeah, we can keep going forward. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for making time to, to speak with me. Uh, and for introducing me to the Wellbeing Science Institute. No worries, Richard. Nice to talk to you. Well, that was a gift to have a conversation with Steve Johnson of the Wellbeing Science Institute based in Australia, locations over in England and hopefully soon in the U.S. Again, I'm Richard Listens, host of the Richard Listens Show. You can reach me on Instagram at Richard Listens, patreon.com slash Richard Listens. Become a supporter, receive advanced content such as panels with athletes, and Q&As with amazing presenters such as Steve Johnson. I thank you all for being fans and supporting and for listening in today. I'm Richard Listens. Take care, everybody, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.